Be Frank show. Hope everyone out there had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Over the weekends, lightning struck twice. Michigan did the damn thing again to Ohio State a little differently. Um, you know, not mm-hmm. the same grounded pound that we saw last year, but more significant this year is that this happens on the road in the horseshoe. Still a comfortable victory for the Wolverines. And I mean, I, I can't think of anyone happier than than Michigan fans after this past weekend. This is arguably the happiest I've been at a, after a Michigan win, maybe in my life. Uh, it, it feels good. I was dead right about this game. Like, could not have d- gone better for me. Defense played great. Really made it tough on C.J. Stroud. He did have almost 350 yards passing and two touchdowns, but he had the two interceptions, uh, and they made plays when they needed to. Much more disciplined game out of Michigan, just five penalties to the nine for Ohio State. Like you said, rushing game was good, but big plays through the air are what killed Ohio State. The Cornelius Johnson had a 75-yard catch. Um, they were just finding ways to get open behind these or excuse me, a 69-yard touchdown catch, and then he had the 75-yard touchdown catch. They're just finding ways to get open. Uh, and this is a Michigan receiving core that we really hadn't talked much about throughout this entire year. Ohio State's obviously had a, a ton of praise and hype coming into this season. And while they did play well, it's you know not what you expect out of this game. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a game Ohio State was leading, seemed like a little bit of playing with its food, and then... Uh, you know, wasn't able to fully take advantage, extend the lead, uh, you know, some some red zone struggles that are well documented for certain members of the coaching staff. And mm-hmm. then Michigan just started hitting home run after home run. Uh, yep. Just ridiculous. Uh, four touchdowns, the Wolverines of 69 or more yards. Uh, another touchdown pass from J.J. McCarthy was 45 yards. It was a very rough day for Ohio State secondary because they came out clearly trying to avoid the exact same thing that happened last year. They started the game very strong against the run for Michigan. Um, but then a couple big plays of defensive backs out on islands really effectively opened the game up. So by the time we get to the second half, you have Donovan Edwards out here hitting multiple home runs, 75 and 85 yard touchdown runs, um, just gashing this Ohio State defense that up until this week had had a a pretty solid season. There's noticeable improvements over the last several years, bringing in Jim Knowles uh, from Oklahoma State. But Saturday was definitely a game to forget for that unit. Yeah, and and little did we expect. I mean, at the beginning of the year, if you told someone that Michigan would beat Ohio State, they might say, okay, that's, that's possible. I don't see it happening. Then you tell them 45-23 and that Michigan did it with big plays. I don't think anyone's believing you. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where you can say, you know, could they do it again if they have to? Um, You know, maybe not. um, Because, you know, there's, there's an outside chance still that Ohio State and Michigan could see each other's in the playoff if, Certain things happen. Ohio State's able to sneak in. It is only their first loss of the year, but 530 yards of offense for Michigan. Um, you know, not not a unit that we had a ton of confidence in. Certainly, the passing games. You said wide receivers, not really, um, 
you know, as good as other units we've seen in past years. Mm-hmm. Blake Corum, not really himself, uh, you know, struggling with injuries. So Donovan Edwards stepping up again. Like we talked about earlier this season, they have two number one guys essentially. Um, so that, yeah. that makes a huge difference. You'd think there will be, uh, you know, big game this week for Michigan to potentially win back-to-back Big Ten titles and then be about a month off and hopefully get some guys healthy before the playoff. But, yeah, this was uh, – I mean, I will say credit to both teams for getting to this weekend undefeated because the potential for looking ahead to this game has been present really the whole year. Um, it's certainly been scheduled yeah. very circled on – Every Ohio State player coaches calendar. Um, so again, for Michigan to come out with this performance at Ohio State is all the more impressive. It really is. And credit to Michigan for getting the job done. USC did not have a similar letdown that Ohio State did. They were able to hold off Notre Dame 38-27 and uh, you know, finished the regular season with just one loss heading into the Pac-12 title game. I think at this point, seeing what we did uh, out of C.J. Stroud against Ohio State and can't really put anyone else up there, it seems like this is a Caleb Williams-Heisman season. Um, you know, yeah. all of the other contenders seem to have fallen off. Bryce Young taking a step back this season. Hendon Hooker, obviously, the catastrophic injury um, after – he was having such a strong season, but Caleb Williams in this one, four more touchdowns. He's got a school record, 44 total touchdowns on the season. Feels significant for a school that has produced such talented Heisman winning quarterbacks in the past. Um, and I mean, a spirited effort from Notre Dame. Um, you know, certainly the passing game gave more than we've seen in uh, in several weeks, which speaks to the USC defense a little bit, but this never really felt like to me a game that Notre Dame had a chance of winning. It, it felt like USC was in control. The only chance it seemed like Notre Dame had was that third quarter drive that ended in the inexcusable fumble by Pine on just a completely broken play. But I mean, you look at the numbers, you watch how he played outside of that fumble you can't really fault him. He did anything and everything to keep his team in this game. He fit by and far his best game at quarterback, 23 of 26, 300 plus yards through the air and three touchdowns. Um, just not enough. And the defense really did not give them enough. They got gashed on the ground. Caleb Williams did a little bit of everything, just seemingly impossible to tackle, covered in grease, if you will sneaking around in the backfield, avoiding the pass rush um, when Notre Dame did get a pass rush. And that wasn't a ton throughout that game. So really impressive game from Williams. USC one one went away from the playoff. I think it's it's pretty safe and pretty clear to say uh, if they can take down Utah, they are a playoff team. Yeah, I, I would agree. And uh, some other things happened that made that path clear. I will address um, when we <laughs> talk about winners and losers. But yeah, it's uh, it seems very much within USC's control. Obviously, not an easy task of going to Vegas and beating Utah. But you know, it's it's basically a, a win in their end proposition, which is not necessarily 
what a week ago would have looked like. So they'll take that, that positive development for sure. The other ranked matchup to lane Cincinnati 27, 24 winners were the green wave. A lot of firsts here. Uh, First win over a ranked team since 1984. First American regular season title uh, since joining the conference. First win over a ranked opponent as a ranked team since 1956. So it has been a little bit of time uh, for the green wave, but the green wave is coming. Um, They also snap a 32 game home win streak for Cincinnati might've scared Luke Fickle out of town speculation on that last point, but we can't necessarily (laughs) disprove it. Um, Who's to say it's not. Yeah. I I mean, it's, the, the timing of events sure do make that look suspicious. But, yeah, um, I mean, hats off to the Green Wave. Finished the season exceptionally strong. Uh, one of the, I, th- I think, more pleasant surprises in college football this season. Starting off with the early season win over a very good, we know now, Kansas State team. And continuing yeah. now and culminating with this AAC title. Impressive win. They did it really on the ground. Um, Pratt had a little help there, but uh, Tajay Spears, 35 carries, 181 yards, two touchdowns. That's just incredible numbers. Defense played pretty darn well, forcing Cincinnati 5 of 15 on third downs, holding them to just 102 yards passing. It was not a great day. Poor Evan Prater at quarterback uh, really made this team one-dimensional and forced the only turnover of the game. So credit to the two-lane defense. But fun story, fun team, maybe the best uniforms in college football right now. And and it's uh, it's been a blast to watch the green wave. Yeah, cer- certainly something worth mentioning. Last couple weeks uh, with Ben Bryant out for the season now, Evan Prater has not really looked ready uh, for this role. Um, so credit to Tulane, but, I mean, we saw much of the same against temple although you know the completion percentage went down this week significantly so cincinnati is mm-hmm. a team who could be uh, very active in the transfer portal for a guy like i don't know kid mcnamara uh, who announced his decision to transfer today from michigan um so something to be on the lookout uh, whatever the the new coach whoever they bring in wants to do um but i mean tulane just Winning the line of scrimmage against a team like Cincinnati is very impressive. As you said, that's what they were able to do, uh, running the ball effectively. Um, so big game this weekend in the American Championship game, and then uh, could be a New Year's Six Bowl for the Green Wave. So it's a very, very fun, very cool season. Um, shout out to our friends down in New Orleans. Mardi Gras come early. <laughs> Who is your big winner for week 13 it is the men of troy usc uh they control their own destiny at this point um this is it is speculation we have not seen the updated playoff rankings but i find it hard to believe that you leave a one loss usc that is a pac-12 champion out of the playoff so credit to them they have they have their new coach um we'll see lincoln riley did have a, a similar type of uh, first season at Oklahoma where he had a Heisman winner. He had a playoff caliber team uh, and maybe there was a bit of drop off. Who, who's to say uh, as he, he worked through his time in Norman, 
but USC has their coach. They have a star quarterback who should win the Heisman, and they have a team that is one win away from the playoff, and that is their game that they can control. So USC is my big winner. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I, I think we're down to five teams for four spots at this point. Um, whatever, it, it's really dependent on how far the committee drops Ohio State. If Ohio mm-hmm. State is somehow in the four right now, that wouldn't eliminate you know USC necessarily because they have an opportunity for a win this weekend. TCU has an opportunity for a win this weekend to improve their standing. Um, but I think a lot of the chaos is is behind us now. It's really just down to. Uh, that final group. Uh, I, yeah. I have Michigan as a big winner. Um, and, and just, I guess, backtracking quickly. Um, I really like this USC team. It feels like a classic Lincoln Riley team. Uh, like yeah. the, the offense is amazing, but made Drew Pine look very good. And he is not yeah. good this season. So I'm, I'm getting some Oklahoma in the playoff vibes uh, should they make it. But that's a, a future conversation. Um Outside of Michigan, since we already talked about them, about South Carolina, uh, yep. second top 10 win in a row. Uh, and we saw what the offense could do against Tennessee. The defense showed out pretty well um, in that, that comeback bid. DJ had a Woof. not great game, eight for 29 for 99 yards, touchdown interception. Uh, Spencer Rattler couldn't quite match his production against Tennessee because how could he ever? Um, but he had three touchdown still, passes though, only yeah. two for his team, but he still had three touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, 360 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Um, I mean, still basically running the offense because getting nothing to speak of uh, the, the rush game going up against that Clemson front seven, the yeah. huge ask um, pretty much reverse. Uh, both teams were able to move the ball. Clemson ran the ball pretty effectively behind Will Shipley in that offensive line uh, because DJ gave him nothing through the air. But, uh, yeah, just ending the season on a high note. Again, two top ten wins in a row is is massive. Um, and effectively knocking your, your in-state rival out of playoff contention. Um, that's so it's a cherry on top for for Shane Beamer, who in a couple seasons of South Carolina, I think, has greatly exceeded any expectations uh, that could have been set before him. For sure, and really, really takes the juice out of the ACC title game. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, North Carolina did that themselves too. Uh, the I mean, last just couple both weeks. of them losing is incredible. Yeah. Um. All right, who is your uh, big loser this week? Has to be LSU. <laughs> Has to be LSU. It can't be anyone else in my eyes. They get blown out by a bad Texas A&M team. Never really looked like they showed up at the races on Saturday. Um, yeah, this is, this is just a, a monumental letdown and collapse for a team that was gifted a position inside the top 10. I... I haven't gone back and looked and seen really where they where I think they should have been. Five seems way too generous to me. I don't know that they've looked like a playoff team all year. They the closest um, the closest they've came like a loss to Florida State, which is aged fairly nicely, but they got blown out by Tennessee, who we all know is at not home. a playoff team at this point. Yeah, um, 
Like they beat a fraudulent Ole Miss team. They beat an Alabama team that has struggled throughout the year. Not to you know take away from that win because I still do think it, it should carry some weight. But outside of that, who have they beaten and what have they done? So this loss kind of cements my opinion of LSU. Not to take you know it is a great season and Jaden Daniels has played well for the most part. Um, but it just it it. For a team that somehow had a chance with two losses and one of them being a blowout at home to control their own destiny in the playoff race is just outrageous. So to to lose to Texas A&M in the fashion they did is big-time loser uh, material. Yeah, I I agree 100%. I, I, I think it's important to kind of separate this into two conversations. Like in a vacuum, we're just looking at a nine and three LSU team. This is a very good year one for Brian Kelly. Yeah. But if we're talking about them, you know, being in the playoff discussion, then I mean, call a spade a spade. This is an extremely fraudulent team. Um, and, and the fact yeah. that we were having conversations like national national media and the committee was comfortably or like was putting LSU right up there or ahead of Tennessee and sleeping at night just made no sense to me um, because we saw what happens when those teams play each other at LSU Mm -hmm. did not matter. Um, Now that's a moot point. Fortunately, I'm just glad it's behind us. Give a uh, like to have fun with A&M on this show. And I would say 99% of it is justified, but needed them to come through this week. They did. So give a a tip of the cap to the Aggies. Shout out Devin A. Chain, just running all over the Tigers. Um, but again, LSU, this, uh, this A&M team had not won an SEC game since September 24th, and LSU is not competitive in the slightest. So, I mean, yeah, they are who we thought they were. So we are getting to the point in the season, uh, coaching carousel season. It seems to start earlier and earlier, and there is a direct reflection in how some teams play it's like joking or not, that could have contributed a little bit to Cincinnati's performance uh, against Tulane. Certainly Ole Miss has uh, fallen by the wayside ever since rumors of uh, Lane Kiffin potentially looking for the doors happened. Um, three big moves. I want to at least talk about uh, one. We can just breeze by Kenny Dillingham to Arizona States um, could be fun from an offensive perspective, but uh, two new hires, uh, Wisconsin getting Luke Fickle, they saw already. Um, Big Ten has been taking some swings with coaching hires, and I, I was texting with you and very surprised with how committed he has been to staying at Cincinnati, and especially Cincinnati yeah. is on the verge of joining a Power Five conference in the Big 12, um, that he would make this move to Wisconsin. But if you're the Badgers, kind of – looks great because you get a good coach in Luke Fickle and now you can feel kind of vindicated. Um, everyone questioning, why would you fire Paul Christ mid season? Um, you know, now they had opportunity to go out there and, and get one of the, the best coaches you probably could. Um, so seems like it's a, it's a good look for, for Wisconsin and kind of the, the head coach who fits their mold of, of being a defensive guy. Yeah, I was going to say, stylistically, he fits very well. This is not a to, – to cross over to college basketball where we will be talking shortly. This is not a Mike Anderson to St. John's move. 
this is taking a guy that fits the Midwest, that fits run the ball and play defense, which is what Wisconsin wants to do, uh, and dominate the trenches. That is what Luke Finkel's Cincinnati teams have done over the past however many years that he's been in charge. And, and when he's had these very good teams the last two, three years, that is what they were built off of. That was the foundation that he built. <laughs> Question is, can he get better quarterback, quarterback play at Wisconsin? We will find out. Desmond Ritter was a solid quarterback. I don't know that he fits necessarily. Uh, he would fit a Big Ten Wisconsin style, but he's the closest thing we've seen to a, a high-quality quarterback at Cincinnati. Yeah, and I mean, it's that's the elusive thing for Wisconsin. It's like we had Russell Wilson, and that was the, the gold standard. And yeah. ever, I mean, before then and since then, I've just been trying to find that again. Um, it's, it's been tough. Um, and I mean, this year, they, they gave Jim Leonard sort of a, a tryout. Kind of, kind of tough with you know the exact same roster not really being able to change anything, but didn't work out. Uh, didn't see enough to to give him the job. So going with you know someone who was in the playoff last year um, had as as much success as you can have at Cincinnati. Really, I, I would argue more than a guy who was there a couple of coaches before Brian Kelly. Um, so you yeah. can't can't really argue with that resume at all. Um, so. Just in time for there to soon no longer be East and West divisions in the Big Ten, but I was going to say for now, maybe this makes the Big Ten West better, but I, I don't know. I don't know anymore. Drop in the bucket. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're in a situation where Indiana could have affected the Big Ten West <laughs> title race. Um, it's like we're, we're doing something wrong here. Um. Speaking of another team that did, Nebraska, they knocked Iowa out of the Big Ten championship game, and I think that's for the best because no one wanted to see that. But uh, now they have hired Matt Rule. Um, he did not want to just sit on his money and not coach. He is an addict, so he's getting back into the college game. A failure at the pro level. We can agree on that. 11-27 yep. in two-plus years of the Panthers, but – the two reclamation jobs he did previously were very impressive. He was selling out the link for Temple football, brought them from two wins to 10 wins in two seasons and did that back-to-back -back years and then brought Baylor from one win to 11 wins in two seasons. Um, from a college level, it looks like a great hire. We said the same about one Scott Frost. Uh, we so did. Just... The, the pressure is going to be immense. Um, and Scott Frost was Nebraska's favorite son until he wasn't um, failing to win football games. Matt Rule does not have the same connection, but this is the biggest brand, biggest program he has taken over. Um, I think the starting point is a little better than the jobs he usually goes to, but right. just the specter hanging over Nebraska football of we haven't been a national power in forever. Um, you could argue is kind of a similar situation. He walked into at a uh, temple at Baylor, but I, I think this is going to be one of the, the most fascinating case studies over the next couple of years. 
in college football um, because if this doesn't work out for whatever reason, if you're a Nebraska fan, you have to be banging your head against the wall. It's like, is there anyone out there we could bring in? Because the last two guys have made so much sense on paper. Um, but it's just – it'll be fascinating to see what happens here. Yeah, if we get to year three – and it's not a 10-win team, what do you do? What do you do? That's obviously a little too high, I think, in terms of the expectation game. But that's how it's going to be, right? Like, this is Nebraska fan base that delusional is mean, but it's also the only word I can use. Like that, yeah. That's the only way to describe them. And like you said, the cupboard's not completely bare, and it's not – like it, it is a place that you can recruit and you can kind of make a, a turnaround or, or big swing in terms of a the recruiting game, but the transfer portal as well. The the worry, at least in my mind, is that maybe maybe he hits on a couple guys next year this offseason, and all of a sudden they win two or three games out of the gate and look decent. And then all of a sudden they have a ranking next to their name. And then people are thinking, okay, big 10 championship. This is where we need to be years ahead of where they should be. And that's, you know, that ends up going against Matt rule and hurting him in this case. Um, Like you said, I'm excited to see just what the hell happens at Nebraska because this has been a sleeping giant, if you will, for, for quite some time. And if a guy like Matt Rule with his pedigree and his background of taking teams that have struggled and teams that have been dormant and, and waking them up and re-energizing them doesn't work, you're right. Where the hell do you go next if you're Nebraska? Yeah, I mean, to, to go back to something you were saying, like that – that is a lot like Texas. Like if, if yeah. Nebraska wins a couple games off the, off the jump, um, you know, no one's really been tempted to do it anymore, but fresh blood into the program. Um, I can see a scenario in which that happens by game three, but yeah, it's one of those things. Like, again, there's, I believe going to be one more season of East and West uh, before USC UCLA come in and, and change things. But this is something you would look at and be like, all right, going to the big 10 West, like, no reason Nebraska can't, you know, just dominate this every year. It's like Scott Frost couldn't. He was, he was a, a pretty damn good candidate. And the, the big difference really right. between Nebraska and Texas, Texas is arguably the richest recruiting base um, yeah. in the country. Uh, or like, if not, then at least one of. Nebraska is not. It's just, it's simply not. You have to bring guys from all over. That's what they did in the 90s. Um, but if you're if you're building from you know an inside out recruiting um, kind of strategy, you can't really do that in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, so right. I I think a guy like Matt Rule is probably going to be very aggressive in the transfer portal. Um, but yeah, Nebraska, Wisconsin, and other games next year are going to be must watch. Um, so I I don't know. It's like unless unless you're going to just print money which they could print money to throw at urban Meyer. I don't know who else you could go to. Uh, mm-hmm. if this doesn't work out, but I've, I've peeked ahead at their schedule for next year at Minnesota, at Colorado, Northern Illinois, Louisiana tech are their first four games. A competent football program could very well be four. zero in that scenario. I, I think, 
We uh, the problem is we don't know enough about what the rosters will look like, but I think right. it's it's kind of get through that Minnesota game. Um, right. Colorado has a coaching change to make. Maybe they bring in Ryan Walters and are just elite defensively. Um, yeah, but that on paper that that is pretty friendly for a first year coach walking through the door. And that that tees up a possible ranked matchup with Michigan right after that. Not oh, to get God. too far okay. ahead of ourselves. Well, that, I mean, that would be good um, in this hypothetical situation. Just build them right. up, and then Michigan just knocks them down, and we remember why we shouldn't have been having that conversation in the first place. Yes, exactly. Uh, the other big coaching news, uh, David Shaw resigning from Stanford. Felt like it was time. Uh, very good run. Following up Jim Harbaugh, who you know had a pretty good weekend at his new school, uh, ninety six and fifty four in twelve uh, seasons, you know had a had a good run, especially in the uh, the two thousand the the early two thousand tens, and then really since 2017, 2018, it's been pretty lethargic four straight losing seasons um you know kind of losing that brand in the pac 12 of being the the physical ground and pound team uh who's going to outwork you to utah um and really really seemed like it was it was time for a change you know got a good win over notre dame in the last season but other than that it's it was more the same um you know it's kind of one of those things are like stanford is a a tough place to win Obviously, very strong academic institution. Harbaugh was able yeah. to do it. Shaw continued for as long as he could um, before kind of falling off. Um, I don't know. I, I I'm not immediately sure who they who they go after from here, but it was uh, it it was time, and I, I think at least giving him the courtesy of of being able to just say he resigned is a. Uh, is a positive, but yeah, one hundred percent. This is a guy that took Stanford to four New Year's Six bowls. They won two Rose Bowls in that time. Um, really, just all around an incredible follow up to what they had with Harbaugh. The last four seasons have not gone as as well as they would have liked. Granted, twenty twenty they were four and two, so you never know what that that year could have been, but. Yeah, it's a shame. David Shaw was a uh, a good coach. I think that's just the the way to put it. He was a good coach at Stanford. He did a ton of uh, things well there, and and now they need to start over and see where they can go from here. Yeah, um, I mean, just a couple past West Coast guys jumped to mind. Uh, you know, if if anyone can get Chris Peterson back into coaching, it would probably have to be a Pac-12 team. I think that mm-hmm. would be the absolute home run hire, um, but not going to be short on options. Uh, could be a, a fun coaching carousel um, offseason or bowl season, depending on how quickly some teams choose to pull the trigger. Conference championship week. Um, I've got six to go through. Um, you know, Power five, and I'll throw the American in there since they're both ranked. The mm-hmm. ACC, which has lost all of its juice, Clemson, North Carolina, in Charlotte. Who do you like? 
I'm going to take North Carolina. They can they can score. That's my only rationale. That's the only reason I'm going to pick them. So I'll take the heels. I'm going to go Clemson because North Carolina cannot stop anyone. Um, they just got That's beat true. by effectively a fourth string quarterback uh, last week by North Carolina States. I also, especially after last week, do not trust them to hit a field goal. Um, so That's a good point. Going up against that mental burden as well. Uh, the American Tulane gets a home game in New Orleans, uh, facing off against UCF. Uh, these two teams did meet earlier in the season, but obviously different scenario here. Who do you got? I'm going to take Tulane. Home field matters. I think uh, also just the way they've been running the football. The defense has played very well. If they can get that push up front in the trenches like they did offensively and defensively last week, make John Reese Pumley a little uncomfortable in the pocket, they can get the win. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to uh, go Tulane here. Uh, I mean, we, we did see this exact game in Tulane earlier this season, uh, seven-point loss for UCF. UCF has really struggled the last couple weeks. Um, you know, they've, they've lost to teams they shouldn't have. They got a really good game from South Florida, who's atrocious. Um, yeah. So I, they are not really peaking at the right time. I think they've already hit their peak. Um, and, you know, Cincinnati is the team that as Tulane, I would have been concerned about the most. Um, now it's going to be a clear advantage for Tulane on the defensive side of the ball um, compared to what UCF can do defensively. So I'm with you. I like the, the green wave here. Hard to beat the same team twice. It is. Arlington will play host for Kansas State TCU in the Big 12 title game. Um, yeah, it's pretty pretty fitting that Oklahoma and Texas are both not participating before they presumably go on to bigger and better things. What do you got here? I, I'm taking TCU. I don't feel the most confident about it because, as we all know, Kansas State probably should have won that game they played earlier in the season. TCU looked great last week. Um, then again, it's not that hard to uh, against their competition, so maybe not not going to take too much out of that game. But uh, I, I, with everything on the line right now, TCU is going to be coming out fired up for this game. So I expect a hot start to the to the game, not. Polar opposite of how they played earlier in the season where they fell into the hole and had to climb their way out. I think they'll come out hot. They'll they'll put the pressure on defensively, and we'll see a much different result uh, with TCU winning a little more comfortably. I've got TCU as well. Um, this is very similar. Uh, just basically winning your in uh, the playoff. Yeah. Um, if, they, if they lose, then things get really dicey um, potentially with – Ohio State. Um, I can see the committee le- leaning in favor of the bigger brand of the Buckeyes. Um, but I think TCU, especially offensively, has just been so tough this year. Um, I'm going to go with the Hypnotoads as well. Um, I, I think they'll they'll make the playoff because of it. Purdue is the uh, well, potential sacrificial lamb someone from the big 10 west was going to be for either 
Ohio State or Michigan. Uh, Big Ten East has still not lost this game since they went to two divisions. But, yeah, I mean, you don't need me to tell you that these are unbalanced again. Uh, who, who do you like here? I like Michigan. I think Purdue has the chance to muck it up and keep it closer than maybe Ohio State. Uh, they would have been able to do against Ohio State, excuse me, uh, just based on how Michigan has played. But if they can get anything like they got last week out of McCarthy or or just the ability to to hit home run plays again, uh, this should be a comfortable win for Michigan. I think Purdue is a deserving Big Ten West champion. Um, you know, this is a team in the preseason that we said if if some things broke right, um, they they could win the division. And I mean – no one wanted to see Iowa here. Uh, so I, I think that worked out for everyone. That being said, um, I expect a similar performance Michigan last year in this game. Um, I, you know, just going to keep the momentum going um, after last week and maybe not hit as many big plays, but still just have superior talents on both sides of the ball. Um, and they're, they're not going to let up with the, the playoff right around the corner. Pac-12, uh, this will be on Friday night in Vegas, Utah, USC. Uh, after, I mean, what many could consider a disappointing season for the Utes, they still have an opportunity to win the Pac-12 title. Will they do that, or do you see USC winning here? I'm taking the Trojans. Uh, the defense, as you've mentioned before, does worry me. But Caleb Williams is the best playmaker on the field. He's got the best receiver in this game. And I think that together, he and Jordan Addison will be too much for this Utah team. I, I think it does get fairly high scoring just based on how USC's defense has looked. Cam Rising needs to keep the ball. Uh, no turnovers really in this game. Otherwise, I think USC can punish him. I like Utah here. Uh, I like Utah, and then I, I think it's going to make things very – very interesting before the final rankings, before the playoff. But um, Utah, I, I think it's just a, a fundamentally sound team, both sides of the ball, um, just real next man up mentality. We've seen what a star Dalton Kincaid has turned into this year. And, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, USC's past defense is rough, 110th nationally, and that is just ahead of noted powerhouse Colorado. So that's that's the kind of unit we're dealing with here. Cam Rising is talented enough to take advantage. The aforementioned Dalton Kincaid will take advantage. Um, I, I think this will be a very close game, but I, I like Utah on a neutral field here. Yep. Lastly, some juice has been removed from this as well, but we've got LSU and Georgia in Atlanta. I feel like it could get ugly. What are your thoughts here? LSU in the spoiler role is interesting. I don't know that they have what it what they need to do it this year. They don't really have that star at receiver like they've had the the past couple of years. They've had a, a solid two great team. Um, so I think Georgia wins. I think it's going to be low scoring. Georgia has put the clamps on many teams. Unfortunately, this past week they did not do so against Georgia Tech, which cost me uh, in the under. But that is uh, something for the spread option later this week. But I think Georgia wins this one fairly comfortably. Yeah, really all LSU can spoil now at this point is just playoff seed or, of course, the actual SEC title. Georgia is at least yeah. comfortably in the field either way. Um, but, yeah, I playing Georgia in Atlanta, I, I do not see this going well. Um, I, I think Georgia wins by two or three touchdowns here, um, which I think would have happened anyway, but – 
at least if I'm wrong, there's no risk that we'll see LSU in the playoffs. So we can yes. rest easy there. On to college basketball. Uh, arguably the biggest week of the non-conference season every year is Feast Week. It was, uh, it was a notable one again. We had some uh, some great tournaments out in Maui, multiple brackets at the Phil Knight's events, the Invitational and the Legacy, um, which I could never keep up, which was which. So just yeah. confused That was me. real Legends, tough. <laughs> Legends and leaders adjacent. Um, but lots to choose from. Who, uh, who do you have as your uh, first winner of the week? It's Purdue, your favorite team. Uh, heck of a week for them. Beating West Virginia, Gonzaga, and Duke, the latter two top 10 wins. They looked very comfortable in the win against Gonzaga, and then they handled uh, Duke fairly easily as well. It, uh, the Boilermakers look good. They, uh, they played very well this past week. Defensively, they looked solid. Zach Eady was doing a bit of everything for them. Uh, and, and Foster Lawyer, remember the name. He, uh, he played. Or excuse me, Fletcher Lawyer. Sorry, his brother. I always forget. Uh, and he, he played very well in this game, um, showing off a, a little bit of everything in his arsenal. He played well against Duke, well against Gonzaga. Five assists, a couple rebounds, a couple steals, and double-digit points in each game. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, like, I thought the Big Ten was bad this year. I like nope. now. Now I have to worry about Michigan State's. Wisconsin looks like they're going to annoy me again. Iowa could be decent, and now Purdue. Um, it's coming out, and I mean, they weren't really like their biggest challenge was probably the first game against West Virginia. Then they come out, mm-hmm. whip Gonzaga by eighteen, beat Duke by nineteen. Really suffocating defense in both those games, and Edie had. Two double doubles and then twenty three and seven against Gonzaga, which is a pretty strong performance as well. He is everything they need him to be this year because it, it it is a little bit weaker of a supporting cast, um, so his usage rate is going to be through the roof. But yeah, I mean, lawyer, uh, some some people kind of dragged Purdue in that their prized recruit in this class is uh, Fletcher Lawyer is like really, um, but. I mean, he's he shown off what kind of instant impact he can have um, in the backcourt. And, I mean, just like his brother, uh, Foster has been uber productive at, uh, at Davidson over his career. He is starting his at Purdue much the same way. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see kind of how the, the pieces fit together as we get to Big Ten play. But looked very good in a very strong field. Um, you know, they were uh, there. There was definitely some growing pains early in the season. I think the Marquette game—it's really sort of an in-game turnaround to escape out of that one. But I mean, in this event, they were clearly the class of it uh, the whole time, and would parlay that with uh, UConn in the other bracket. It was yeah. clearly the the class of that event. Won every game by fifteen or more points against Oregon, Alabama, and Iowa State. Um, Sonogo is great, but they are much more than just him. Uh, Newton has been great so far in this season. Sonogo really wasn't productive in the championship game. It didn't matter. Um, you know, th- This team is, is hitting threes. They are 
looking every bit the part of a a Big East contender, um, especially since you know it's been disappointing starts from other teams. But at UConn Creighton seem like the the two teams atop the Big East right now. This was a very impressive early season statement for me from the Huskies. Agreed. I uh, I have been very impressed with UConn thus far. They really they felt like a one trick pony in that it was Sunogo and maybe some role players with him in guys like Hawkins and Jackson. Uh, that does not seem to be the case. Everyone seems to be clicking. They they are playing very good basketball both ends of the floor. Uh, UConn top top ten in both offensive and defensive efficiency in Ken Palm so far this season. But yeah, they are. Uh, they they look scary, and they them and Creighton are the the two top teams in the Big East, and it's a pretty big gap in my opinion before you get to number three because I, I it might be Xavier, um, who's played okay but hasn't shown the ability to finish in any of these games. Um, but I I don't know where you go where else you go in the in the Big East. Um, yeah, they, they have not started off well. I, I don't know what to think of St. John's. They really haven't played anybody, even though they're 7-0. But that's that's a whole different topic. So UConn, definitely a big winner this week. That's where you would have to go after Xavier, but I don't want to. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> St. John's. Um, need, need some more uh, slightly larger sample size. But good start so far for uh, Mike Anderson, um, starting 7-0 there. Um, yep. Also, just wanted to shout out Arizona winning Maui. Very difficult field that at times they made look not that way. Um, mm-hmm. It's just another classic Tommy Lloyd team. Um, I mean, Tubelis looked good. Balo was uber efficient. Um, finally becoming the the player that we thought he could be. Um, you know, started his career at Gonzaga with Lloyd, then came over, um, hadn't really seen the court a ton before this season, kind of going to that interior spot that uh, Coloco had last year, but yeah, just incredibly efficient from the, the field, deserved um, MVP of that tournament. Um, you know, good contributions from Larson, Kreza, Courtney Ramey. Um, I mean, Arizona looks tough again. Uh, they they lost a ton, but seem like everyone has is kind of acclimated to their new roles pretty quickly, um, and got some real resume boosting wins, especially in the last two games over uh, San Diego State and then Creighton in the final. Yeah, the the boost I think that they get from Courtney Ramey is really something. Tons of uh, experience, four years at Texas and now over at Arizona. Um, the ability to shoot the three, he can penetrate, he can facilitate he does a lot of kind of what they need at this point um and and balances the floor well i think so continue to watch arizona we'll see they should be a great shooting team throughout the season the question is the interior ballo if he keeps playing like that will will cement that in and and they will continue to play very high level basketball throughout the year any other winners for you uh, I was going to give Tennessee a quick shout. They allow it. Admittedly, a, a, a weaker group in Butler USC, but they did beat Kansas and they handled them pretty easily uh, throughout this game. Eight point halftime lead extended to a fourteen point win. Held the Jayhawks to just fifty points. 
including 32% shooting from the field uh, and dominated the glass 45-27 against Kansas. They, when Vescovy's on, they're a hard team to beat. That That is just uh, one, of, one of a few key guys that they can look to, but when he is on, he, he makes them very difficult. The defense is stellar. Um, yeah, and that's that's going to be the calling card. It's just some kind of offensive consistency. Um, it seems like different guys have stepped up. Julian Phillips has had a great couple of games. They they need to see kind of more consistency from guys like Tyreek Key, who was so good in the exhibition against Gonzaga, but kind of had a, a slower start once the game started counting. But yeah, I mean, the Colorado game will continue to make no sense because this is a, a really good right. Tennessee team. I really like this team, uh, but that's that's the one black spot so far. Um, but to take down a team as good as Kansas, um, we know how good Kansas has been already this young season and how good Tennessee looked defensively doing that. Um, I'm I'm okay with the the winner designation here, certainly. Losers. Uh, speaking of the Big East, not a great weekend for Villanova, was it? No. No, it was not. Uh, yeah, they, they were really never in the game against Portland. They lost to Iowa State. They lost to Oregon. That's four in a row they've dropped. They've got Oklahoma this upcoming weekend uh, on national TV in Oklahoma as I've seen firsthand, is is a bit frisky. I don't think they're a very good team, but at this rate, they are better than Villanova is. I They need to get healthy, but I don't know even if they get healthy if it solves their problems. Like Defensively, they have been poor. Their offensive just execution hasn't been great. They still do rank in the top 25 of Ken Palm offensive efficiency, but they're in the hundreds in terms of defense, and, and that is just killing them night in and night out. Yeah, like the, the Iowa State one can kind of excuse because the Cyclones then went out and beat then number one team in the country. But yeah, Portland's not a great loss. Uh, I mean, it's an improved Portland team. Um, should be frisky in the West Coast Conference, but if you're Villanova, can't be losing that. And Oregon's just bad. I think they're bad again. Um, that was that was a game like someone desperately needed a win in that, and and Villanova just came up short. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of just the the nightmarish start for Kyle Neptune because um, now it's now I feel like there's a lot more pressure on him. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, there there was obviously pressure coming into this situation taking on the role that Jay Wright had filled so well for so many years. But, you know, if you, if you win most of your games, you don't do anything embarrassing to start the season. Then I mean, people will naturally give you time, but this is just kind of a, a worst possible situation. Um, you know, obviously the, the loss to temple wasn't great, but you know, if you're looking at it in a vacuum, these things happen, upsets happen um, early in the season, right. but like you said, this is now four straight losses. Um, they, they've beaten LaSalle. They've beaten Delaware State. And barely yeah. beat Delaware State. Yeah. They've, they've lost everyone else. Um, so, you know, 
a lot of heavy lifting offensively from from Dixon and Daniels, but yeah, it's like you said, the the defense has to be much much better um, for this team to get anywhere close to where it wants to go. And I mean, obviously, it's not there. Guard play too; they are really struggling at the guard. They they don't have a true point guard for the first time in I don't know how long. It's maybe since early Jay Wright years. It's been that long since they haven't had a true number one guy at, at the point guard position, but that is killing them right now too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, Chris Archer Diacono is not, is not him. Uh, no, but we're trying. I mean, speaking of no guards in Louisville is still, they're still here. <laughs> they are. They are uh, just getting obliterated in assist to turnover ratio. Every time out on the floor, um, they like the the biggest insults I, I can say, and there are many things to say about Louisville, but they were Chaminade at the Maui yeah. this year. They lost by 26, 32, and they lost by 19 in the seventh place game, too. I will say, not a very good Cincinnati team. Um, and quite frankly, should have been embarrassed by their performance in the first two games because at certain points in the, the second half, it was just possession after possession, miss shot, run out, dunk, miss shot, run out, dunk. Uh, and it's just like, you don't want to be that team that everyone loves playing against because it's just right. so much fun. Um, but that's, that's where Kenny Payne is uh, with Louisville. The, somehow they found a way to go to Maui and, have horrendous vibes the entire time. It is the Maui dump as opposed to the Maui bump. <laughs> they are really struggling. Oh, for the season. I saw at one, I think it was when they were 0 and 4, was the first time they've been 0 and 4 since the four, 1940, which is just outrageous. Uh, they're 171 in Ken Palm. The, I, guess, I guess the bright side is that they're 350 in luck. So they are missing a lot of shots that they should hit. But to your point, when they are missing those shots, it's leading to runouts for the opposing team. And uh, it's, it's not great. Seven and a half assists to 17 and a half turnovers on the season on average. They're shooting under 30% from three. They average 58.7 points per game. And L. Ellis is the only guy averaging double figures at 17.2 points. He also averages nearly five turnovers a game as the only guard on the roster. Like that's to be a hundred percent clear. That is not to be disparaging against L Ellis. He is doing an impossible task and he's, he's performing admirable, admirably, but you cannot put a young guy in that position. He, he has no help. That's, yeah. that's really the biggest thing. Uh, the weird thing from this is now it is putting a ton of pressure on everyone that Louisville plays, uh, so you don't want to be that. You don't want to be that team. I, looking at the schedule, I, I, I will be. I will say Louisville will get their first win no later than December seventeenth. Um, yeah, Florida State's going to be a hell of a game, though. Yeah, yeah, Mar- Maryland, I, I think, has shown us enough that they they should win that game. Um, you know, guard play hasn't been spectacular, but. You know, the contributions they've been getting from big guys has been enough. Miami should win. 
Florida State, I don't know. A normal year, that's an automatic win, but Florida State has struggled mightily out of the gate. I've become rather rich betting against Florida State and Louisville this year, so that is going to be a tough one. I may just have to abstain or bet the under. But, <laughs> the under, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, well, it keeps saying it every show, but like, you should have known this was coming. It's like you, mm-hmm. this is the roster you construct in the offseason. They'll have the work is going to be cut out for uh, Kenny Payne this offseason. I assuming they're not going to fire him after one season, no matter how disastrous it is. But right, like you, you have you have to be better prepared because now you are on a team where like we have to clarify we're not speaking badly about L. Ellis. We are just acknowledging that he is being put in an impossible situation. Yeah, it's this. This could rival the Stallball Pit team. Oh my God, we're yeah, getting. I, we we could get there. I I think that I think these guys are worse uh, so far. Yeah, a lot, lot of season to play. Respectfully, yeah, they're just kids. Uh, any any other losers for you this week? Yeah, I'm gonna throw uh, San Diego State in there. This is a team that has Final Four aspirations, and when they had the chance on the big stage, they got routed by Arizona in a 17-point game, and then lost a tight one to Arkansas. I don't think that necessarily means that this isn't a good San Diego State team. They obviously have talent and they have the ability. They were not able to impose their will on either of these games. The, the style was played at that of their opponent in Arizona and Arkansas, two of the teams that like to push the ball a little bit more and like to get up and down the floor. Um, Arizona is number one in adjusted tempo. Arkansas is 29. San Diego State, typically, not a slow team per se, but they, they like to play a little more in the half court and they pride themselves on defense. These two games, uh, they gave up 78 and 87 points, I think it was. Again, just just showing that they got kind of bullied around by two of the bigger teams that that they want to and expect to compete with. So still a ton of time in the season. They will tune up and get better throughout the year. But it's something to watch as you get to March. It was a a tough situation because one of those four teams was going to go one and two of, you know, Arizona, Creighton. Arkansas, San Diego States. Um, I think the one that really hurts is the third place game because it felt like that was very winnable uh, for San Diego States. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, being a Mountain West team, not as many opportunities for, you know, premier resume boosting out of conference wins. Um, you know, was able to get one in the first game over Ohio State, and then Ohio State was able to win their final two games so that. It has been better, um, but a win over Stanford, it's great that you're beating a power 16, but you would have loved to have a win over Arkansas um, as well. Uh, really just boost the conference profile. Um, so it's been a little bit of a, a slower start for some other teams in the Mountain West. But yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to leave Maui with a team this good with a one and two record, but mm-hmm. it's like someone had to. Right, right. I think, I, Unfortunately, I think in the, yeah, I think in the long run they'll still be okay. Um, but agreed. Yeah, this was uh, this was one that that Dutcher would have wanted to steal one. Yeah, I think. And then with that said, I think North Carolina deserves a little bit of a shout out. Um, 
absolute battle with Alabama. That was a really fun game. Just chaos, truly, in four overtimes. Uh, at that rate, you can't really you can't really fault either team. It feels like nobody should lose in that scenario, but obviously someone has to. Um, it's just a war of attrition, especially after the long week. Uh, but the Iowa State loss is inexcusable. They had a five-point lead with about four or five minutes left to go. Uh, and found a way to blow it. Their win probability peaked at 88%, 88 88.8% when they had a seven-point lead with five minutes left, and they found a way to lose by five. Uh, You can't lose in that situation, especially to an Iowa State team that should should be solid, but definitely not one of the top programs or top teams that we're talking about in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, it's uh, it, it looks like it'll be another potentially. It's early yet, but it could be another season of overachieving for Iowa State, um, mm-hmm. much like last year. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Like I, this takes a lot of the trees away from the ACC Big Ten challenge, which is why I'm a little annoyed. But at the same time, like this is who. North Carolina is in a lot of ways. Um, right. I still think this is a team that's going to win the ACC. I don't think the ACC is particularly good outside of uh, Virginia has shown they are probably better than we thought, but everyone else, I don't know. Duke doesn't look great. Um, you know, North Carolina didn't have a great weekend, but you know, the bottom half of the conference is, you know, Mm-hmm. anywhere from boring to just disgustingly bad. Um, and we've, we've talked right. about one of those teams, but I, I don't know. I, a, a little part of me is frustrated because I saw so much in the off season be like, don't say it. North Carolina is not like UCLA from last year. It's like, well, <laughs> they were, they were pretty mid for a lot of the season. They were so you, bad for most of the year. Yeah, and they, they got really didn't really turn hot. on until the ACC tournament. Yeah. They got really hot at the right time. They played incredibly well during the tournament, taking nothing away from that. Uh, you did lose Brady Manic. You brought in a good piece in Pete Nance, but you did lose Brady Manic. Um, so they just have a great you know, roster for tournament style play, and that's ironic to say after they go one and two yeah. in a tournament. But like a, a team that gets to gel and like build that cohesion over the length of a multi-month season, as opposed to what game five on the year is way different. And in in those one and done scenarios where winner go home every single time, like having guys like Caleb Love and RJ Davis on the perimeter, and then a guy like Baycott you could go to, or someone who spreads the floor like a Manic or a Nance is such a game changer and so hard to game plan for on such a short turnaround. Absolutely. And I mean, when you're having these games, like, you know, when North Carolina struggled last year was when, you know, they, they just could not shoot. And like Brady Manic heals a lot of those wounds. And then you, you go to, you know, fast forward to this year, Iowa State, you've got Davis and Love combining to shoot nine for 28, two for 14 from three. It's mm-hmm. like, all right, old habits die, die hard. And I mean, just like, I can acknowledge that Caleb Grill came into that game shooting 17%. Um, so that's a little bit of an outlier from a defensive standpoint. But, I mean, somebody's got to find him at some point. Um, 
Yeah. So that so that doesn't continue. But yeah, I don't know. Like the the big draw why everyone is so high on North Carolina is they brought just about everybody back. So when you have right. a tournament like this, and then you see one of the big quotes from Hubert after Alabama is just like preaching patience. Like it takes some time. It's like now you sound so like Cal. last year. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now you sound like Cal, you have a very experienced roster um, that like all of the pieces are, are pretty familiar with each other already. So you, it's, it's a little alarming that we're having this conversation um, already this season, but. It's also like this unit of guys has been playing basketball more recently than every team but one other together. And the team that they played and lost to lost way more pieces than they did and is playing better basketball. 100%. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Like, they're, they're going to have opportunities for uh, for big win. Like, yeah, you know, me saying this is pretty much guaranteeing a win at Assembly Hall <laughs> on Wednesday. But, like... I don't know. This is we can we can maybe pump the brakes on the national championship talk uh, a little bit because even even before this weekend, this might sound like recency bias, but even before this weekend, they you know, I don't think anyone outside of Carolina Blue would make the argument that they were playing the best basketball in the, the country. They were sneaking right. by some overmatched teams. That like Houston has looked consistently excellent um, this season. Uh, you know, Texas has looked great. Virginia, Arizona have looked great. Um, even before this weekend, I don't think North Carolina has ever been playing at that level. And mm-hmm. again, acknowledging it's early, but um, this is more true to form with what we saw last season um, than kind of the the expectations that we had here coming in. Agreed. They, they need to – hey, they just need time. Give them time. Yeah. It, it is November. Um, so, I mean, jokes aside, they will have time. It's just alarming when you come out and say the quiet part loud. Right. That will do it for us this week. We've got uh, our last spread option of the football season, unfortunately, mm-hmm. college football season, uh, coming out later this week. Uh, we will be back next week to break down – the conference championship results and uh, you know, more and more basketball talk each show. So get excited for that. And we will see you next time.